earlier response to sourcing started was what we call the 3TG, so tin, tantalum, tungsten and gold. Um, and that was definitely coming out of the Congo. Where we started was working on responsible sourcing, trying to figure out exactly where uh, the material from uh, rebel-held areas was coming from. That powered the PlayStation. I just want to tell everyone there there isn't any uh, copyright or patent disputes going on here between Life of Mind podcast and the Life of Mind conference. I think Oz IMM, I don't know if they had the, who had the name first. I'm going to have to hit them up, but it's a perfect fit. Right, day, Life of Miners. Matty Michael here for another episode brought to you by Oz IMM. And today I've got with me to promote the upcoming Life of Mind conference. We've got Harrison Mitchell, co-founder, chief strategy officer at RCS Global, and he's one of the speakers at the Life of Mind conference. Har- Harrison, welcome to Life of Mind, mate. How are you? Thanks, Matty. Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, thanks. So looking forward to our discussion in the conference in August. Now, I just want to tell everyone there there isn't any uh, copyright or patent disputes going on here between Life of Mind podcast and the Life of Mind conference. I think Oz IMM, I don't know if they had the, who had the name first. I'm going to have to hit them up. But it's a perfect fit. Who else would you get to talk about the conference when they've nicked me name? That's true. Yeah, I didn't realize that. <laughs> right, Harrison, mate, tell us a bit. I want to first go into about a bit about yourself, your business, RCS Global. And then we're going to go into what the uh, what the conference is about, when it's coming up, what's happening. So for all for all those people that are, don't mind a bit of professional development, hit the boss up. Go to the OzIMM website, conferences and events. There's a Life of Mind conference. You can use the code podcast to get hundred bucks off. It's Brisbane, second to the fourth of August in sunny Australia. So coming up soon. So we're going to get into it, what it's all about. Now, Harrison, tell us a bit about RCS Global, mate. You're the co-founder. How did it all come about? Yeah, uh, thanks, Matty. So, yeah, I'm a New Zealander, so I'm back in New Zealand, but actually I spent the last 20, 20 or so years overseas um, living in the UK and then in Spain. Um, and that's where I started RCS Global together with my partner, Mick Garrett. Um, and we started uh, at the beginning. We were really quite young at that stage, so late twenties, early thirties. And where we started was working on responsible sourcing, um, trying to figure out exactly where uh, the material from uh, rebel-held areas uh, uh, was coming from that, that powered the PlayStation. So this is where we started. We started looking at um, supply chains and understanding. Uh, where where some of the the raw materials were coming from that led to um, uh, kind of rebel held areas in Congo, uh, and then uh, followed up the supply chain all the way to the, the electronic sector at that time that was buying those materials ultimately. So um, yeah, we started our work uh, in the UK working for kind of research projects for the World Bank and for uh, UK development agency Diffid. Um, and, and kind of writing this supply chain work. And then very quickly, uh, we realized that actually what we were interested in was trying to change corporate behavior. So we started working at that point with mining companies and with uh, other parts of the supply chain, basically figuring out where the material is coming from, what were the risks in those materials in terms of human rights or environmental impact point of view. And that was where RSS was born, really, just... Uh, Trying to figure out those issues and then resolve them. Well, I think I think you've defined responsible sourcing pretty well, but what is it? I think I've figured out from what you were saying what it is, but 
how does it apply in the mining industry specifically? Yeah, so responsible sourcing, I mean, it's quite a broad term, I suppose, but it, the, the kind of term is from the point of view, in a way, of the, the downstream companies or your ultimate, as miners, the ultimate buyers, right? So you, you essentially get these um, companies uh, who don't really understand where their material comes from, but nevertheless are exposed to that, uh, the, the risk of that material. And so what they what they need to do and what they're increasingly compelled to do by regulation, and that's one of the things I'll talk about at the conference, what they need to do is, is figure out where their stuff is coming from um, and then figure out the conditions of production and trade of those, of those products. So that's what we call responsible sourcing. So you see a lot of the big companies now are um, making commitments either around greenhouse gas uh, um, uh, performance or recycled content performance or indeed, you know, uh, commitments around human rights. Um, and those, all those commitments translate into practical actions in the supply chain, figuring out where the material is coming from, who's doing what, and what good actors can they work with in the upstream, uh, including mine sites, of course. So would cobalt be one of the prime examples of where responsible sourcing comes in, as a lot of it comes out of the Congo? Is that one example? Well, that's one example, but actually, um, I mean, that was the early example. So the, the, where responsible sourcing started was what we call the 3TG, so tin, tantalum, tungsten, and gold. Um, and that was definitely coming out of the Congo at that time where you had rebel-held areas um, that were, you know, essentially had slavery conditions of produce, producing that material, artisanal mine material, and then were, you know, making their way into the international market. Um and but that that's kind of the early instance. I think in the last seven years, the focus has really been on uh, battery materials, especially um, uh, around cobalt, um, uh, which also comes from the DSC, as you know, um, as well as. But in addition, and increasingly, lithium, nickel, uh, everything that's in the battery materials. And the key driver here is actually regulation that's coming out of the EU in the, in the next few months, uh, called the Battery uh, Regulation. And, and basically, this regulation requires these companies to conduct due diligence and figure out the environmental and social impact of those materials um, that they're purchasing and bringing them to the country. So that's a key driver uh, there. But I think the other kind of macro picture item there is, um, and, and you'll see this as miners, you see a lot of uh, these upstream companies, the automotive companies, electronics Companies doing direct offtake agreements with mining companies, and you know what is driving that, of course, is um, you know risk of no supply, um, but also we see where those companies do um, form those agreements, uh, they have additional control or at least additional insight into how those materials are produced, right? So that that I think is also one of the drivers to um, uh, these direct offtake agreements. Now, your your first comment about the PlayStation, how this uh, how RCS started. Tell tell us a bit about that. About what I think I heard that correctly. What what materials were going into a PlayStation? Where they were sourced from? How did that all start? Yeah, so, so that was coltan. Yeah, so tantalum. Um, and and around this time, I think it was uh, so it's fifteen years ago. That's when we started. It was sixteen years ago. And around this time, I think the PlayStation 3, uh, I'm kind of struggling here to remember, was coming out. And basically, this 
created this huge spike in demand for this material. Um, and the price went from, I don't know, I want to say something like 100 to 700 a, a kilo, you know, um, really quickly. Um, and, and what that meant, practically speaking, was that, um, you know, the stuff was worth more than gold, literally in terms of weight at this point uh, of time. And so, you know, and, and it was easily accessible by artisanal mines, artisanal miners. You know, it was something that you could um, dig out of the ground with your hands, effectively, or, or rudimentary equipment. And so, this became, yeah, one of the um, conflict minerals um, of uh, so-called conflict minerals, which actually became part of a law in the U.S. called conflict mineral law. Um, but um, this this is one of the conflict minerals that drove uh, uh, money into the DRC or they they just sold that stuff uh, for weapons, obviously, right? And, and to kind of fuel those those uh, conflicts that were there locally, uh, or or at least maintain their power base as rebels. So I mean, that's a simplified version of it, but that's that's effectively what was happening. Um, and so out of that issue, um, uh, some NGOs kind of took that issue to the U.S. government, um, and at that time uh, it was a the Democratic government that passed a law called the Dodd-Frank Act, and it's one of these big uh, US-style laws where it had a lot of different <laughs> parts to it. And there was a particular um, section there called 1502, and basically this section uh, required companies to conduct due diligence on the supply chain for these so-called conflict minerals, like treaties of gold. So um, yeah, that was the start of the kind of formalization, I, I suppose, of responsible sourcing. And from there, um, it's, it's really grown in, in, uh, in scope. And a lot of the downstream companies, especially the ones that we work with, um, uh, you know, have this as a fundamental part of their, uh, procurement policies. And also, uh, it, it kind of crosses along with compliance policies and human rights policies or environmental impact policies as well. So if you look at the Kamawa Kakula cobalt mine in Congo at the moment, I probably haven't pronounced that right. I don't, I've struggled pronouncing every, all those bloody mining names and companies around the world. Um, <laughs> is that considered responsible sourcing now from from that mine in the Congo? Yeah, well, I think we've gone a long way from uh, the battle days of 16 years ago or 15 years ago, right? And I think... Um, I mean, Congo is in a very different place. It's still, a, you know, a difficult environment for sure. But, um, you know, the, the issues there are, are frankly starting to become bread and butter issues around um, health, uh, health and safety, right? Um, so especially for small-scale miners, if you look at the issues that face that sector, it is really um, uh, health and safety issues. You know, they have mine site collapses, et cetera, on a fairly regular basis. So. You know, but but and and I suppose the other key issue that drives a lot of our work, um, at least in the other materials, is, is kind of child labour. So you get this, you know, it's a, it's obviously a very challenging environment for governance and um, and with significant poverty. And so you, it's fairly regular um, that uh, you'll see a, a um, you know a teenage teenagers working in the mine site. Um, in order to provide for their families. And, and obviously that's considered worse forms of child labour. And so, you know, these are the issues that, you know, are quite complex ultimately to figure out um, or how to resolve them. But, um, you, you know, those are the ones that, that are facing the DRC now, Congo now. Um, less so actively held areas, although I will note that there's been, I don't know if you saw recently, there was a raid across in Uganda 
uh, last this week, I think, or, or early last, late last week, um, where the rebels came from the DRCs, as I understood it. So, you know, there's still issues in certain parts of that, that country, but that country is obviously, you know, gigantic, size of Australia style size. So what's happening on one end is but not necessarily affecting the other. So do you have to do you head over there much to places like that doing what you do? Well, we've got an office. We've got a couple of offices in DRC. So I mean, actually, this is around the world um, these days. So we've got an office in, in Shenzhen and China, and uh, a couple in, in Europe. We have one in Rwanda and, and two in, in DRC. And, and basically, we have a permanent presence there, um, supporting the monitoring of, of mine sites and and the um, legitimate export of material. Right. So that's something that. You know, we're very proud of it. It's a tough environment to work with, uh, to work in. Um, but, you know, we're one of two kind of recognized certification programs that provides um, assurance that the material is, is free of child labor, for example, and, um, and obviously free of conflict. So, yeah, that, you know, that's something that we worked hard at doing. But the, the bulk of our work these days, say, is more around the, the EV battery material supply chain um, and figuring out um, uh, for for large automotive companies who you know are the majority of our clients, where the material is coming from, what are the risks in there, and how can they manage those risks and report on those. Um, and that that those supply chains go worldwide. They tend to go through China, where we have an office, and obviously that helps us enormously to understand the supply chains. Um, but obviously, a lot of those uh, supply chains end up in Australia, and I think. That's one of the things that I wanted to relate in the in the conference um, is that uh, in a way I think the Aussie miners have got a competitive advantage um, to some of the more difficult places in the world uh, if they can demonstrate good ESG performance. I think the market will reward that, um, which hopefully is is something uh, of interest to uh, to mining companies in, in Australia. I assume when you started RCS Global, you knew what you were signing up for. You you're putting yourself in the trenches for a for a long time, considering that's what your your whole business uh, related around. So um, you knew you'd be heading to the Congo and places places of uh, on not the uh, not the safety and a lot more sovereign risk than uh, sunny Australia and uh, New Zealand where you are now. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, I, I, I might have handed those duties to the more younger, enthusiastic people in my our team these days. I mean, um, You'd hope so. uh, you know, once you once once you have some kids, you know, your your risk profile changes a little bit, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, but back in the bad old days, I was indeed traipsing around Congo and other um, places. Uh, I mean, the mining sector is quite interesting for that, isn't it? Because you know, you, you go to these extremely remote places all over the world. Um, I've been fortunate to go to places like Mongolia, uh, you know, uh, northern Canada with the Arctic Circle, and, and indeed in, in, uh, I visited the Argyle Mine to do some work um, in, in Australia, and that was a very beautiful place, of course, as well. So, yeah, I think the mining sector is quite uh, special for that reason, as, as you do get to uh, go to quite interesting Geographies and cultures, and, and figure out what's going on with each of them. Did you have any uh, any close calls in your time over there? Any any lockdowns in a compound, or any insurgencies yeah. while you've been yeah. there? Or we, we got arrested for an afternoon by the secret police. Uh, 
in uh, Goma in the Eastern Congo. Uh, but basically, he wanted a bribe, right? So uh, that's pretty was, stock standard. It was a fairly, uh, it was a, you know, a good negotiating tactic from their point of view. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it's quite sobering to be locked up in a, uh, in a, in a police station for a bit. Um, yeah, but I mean, look, uh, from terms of rebel held area close calls, I mean, uh, you know, you obviously need to have your ears on the ground and, and, and have a lot of contacts and as you're going to these places and i think you know we've as the, the team has had close calls for sure and i think there's been times when we've shut down the offices um because of a of an insurgency issue um and at that point you've just got to either go to the un compound or send everyone home and 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 you know batten the hatches as it were and wait for uh, a month or so until it, it kind of Blows over. So, um, yeah, it's, it's again, it's a, it's a difficult environment. I think, uh, if I had my knowledge, I do now. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going into that, but you know, we were, we were young and, uh, enthusiastic. So that's what happened. Although I suppose bribes would be part of the annual budget for the company, wouldn't they? You have to allow for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> right, mate. Tell us. Tell us about the, uh, the Life of Mind conference. We're going to tie this into, I guess, what you do. How, have you become got to be involved in this, mate? Well, it was actually um, a, a client of ours, BHP, that suggested us uh, suggested me to, to come along and um, uh, and talk about responsible sourcing. I think um, you know BHP, along with a lot of other companies, uh, large companies, have been on the uh, receiving end of a lot of requests from their downstream customers to provide information about you know their sustainability performance, basically, right? So. You know, and, and we went on a, a bit of a journey with BHP to figure out what the best approach for them was. Um, and, and I think the, the thing to think about from a mine site point of view is that, you know, miners are also subject to their own regulation. So, for example, um, as I understand, the Minerals Council of Australia is now requiring all of its members to be um, uh, uh, certified by, by a particular um, uh, certification program, TSM. Uh, and towards sustainable mining. And I think, you know, so that's a commitment that the, the NCA has made. Um, and so what BHP needed us to do was to figure out, or at least help them figure out what the best approach for this would be, because it's, it is a, um, an expensive undertaking. It's an investment to, to, you know, make these improvements and change practices. Um, and so, you know, in the Life and Life conference, I want to talk about, um, that. Journey, um, but also just to maybe let uh, companies know um, what is going on in the downstream that's going to affect uh, purchasing decisions in the next few years, right? So um, there are quite a few regulations that are coming through in Europe and, and indeed in the US that are really going to change the purchasing decisions of um, larger companies, and especially the case. If uh, these companies are going towards more direct offtake agreements, um, so from my perspective, I just want to, you know, impart some of that knowledge about what the, your, your ultimate customers are looking at and what they're concerned about, and hopefully give some insight into how we figured out the next step for for BHP. Yeah, we won't, we won't, we don't want to give away too much of your speech, mate. We're, uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the the conference as a whole, mate. I guess what's it about? 
the life of mine conference. You're you're obviously only one key one key part of it, but there's plenty of other speakers. I guess what I guess what's the whole conference tailored to? Yeah, so I mean, as I uh, understand it, I think it's about um, uh, looking at uh, good practice or best practice, and in a lot of different areas of of, uh, of mining. So, um, and, and I guess it's a holistic approach towards that, which is um, you know uh, anything from you know responsible sourcing, which is is kind of a, a standards or sustainability approach to um, things like how do we deal with tailings right coming forward. So. Um, the the invite list or, or the speakers that have been invited are those that are practitioners, so it's very practically focused, but also those that are kind of doing quite uh, forward or progressive or I don't know future-facing activities. So I think from from my perspective, I'm very interested to understand um, you know from other colleagues that are speaking, you know what is going on, what are the the things that people are thinking about um, and and being concerned about in, in, a, in a broad range of areas. So, you know, uh, not just my area, but, um, you know, anything from, uh, from uh, uh, um, you know, greenhouse gas emissions to uh, tailings to, uh, to tailings management to, to local community engagement, et cetera, right? So from my perspective, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in understanding uh, what the cutting edge is, and I think this is where the, uh, the, the conference is pitched. Beautiful. Right, everyone. If you're keen to go, head to the OzOMM website, conferences and events, Life of Mine Conference, use the promo code podcast, get a green back off it, 100 buck discount, Brisbane, Australia, 2nd to 4th of August, and uh, you may even have the privilege to grab a beer with Harrison. Uh, as we know, that, grab, that's, grab a that's, what, uh, that's what conferences are all about, usually, is the... Uh, all the all the wheeling and dealing afterwards in the evening. That's where all the that's where all that's the right. big deals are struck. Indeed, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to uh, grabbing a schooner, as you guys say over there. Yeah, well, we're, there's, um, it's pints in Western Australia. I don't. I'm, I'm New South uh, Wales born and bred, so I'm, I'm more of a schooner man. The pints, because you know what it's like. You have to drink a pint the same pace as a schooner because of the temperature issue, and you end up uh, ends up being a bit of a health yeah. detriment throughout the evening. I found. Well, my my mum's uh my mum's from Wollongong actually and and you know uh, from the gong and uh, her, her dad my granddad used to always talk about having a schooner you know. So <laughs> what is right. it in that's New right, Zealand? What is it? What do you drink in New Zealand? What's the the measurement? Uh, yeah, what are we doing? Yeah, just a beer, I guess. Uh, 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 not even a pint these is it these days. It's UK. Um, yeah, no, we're we're not more boring. Less uh, less. Uh, uh, Colloquial than, than the Aussies, I think. <laughs> in that regard. Oh, that's not hard. Yeah. What um? What are you on the spates? <laughs> what are you on spates over there, Tui? Ah, spates. Come on. Uh, spates is South Island, mate. This is uh, up here. We've got a local one called Tuatara, actually, which is which is a very nice one. If you yeah. come over to New Zealand, you get a Tuatara bottle. It's, it's it's kind of feeling like a lizard skin. It's quite, quite nice. <laughs> very good, mate. Well, thanks very much for coming on today, Harrison, and everyone. Uh, Make sure you say good day to him if you do go to the conference. So, yeah, appreciate it, mate, and uh, best of luck with the talk, mate. Um, send us a recording Thanks, if you can, because I'm not going on, unfortunately, but I'd love to hear it. Thanks, Manny. Yeah, appreciate it, and uh, looking forward to seeing everyone at the conference. And yeah, please do let me know if you're going. I'd love to see you. Cheers. Good on you, mate. Cheers, Harrison.